are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, your home for daily Seattle Mariners news and analysis. Thank you so much for making us your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms, of course. Thank you so much for the support. Continue to share us with your friends, family, all those out there who are Mariners fans who are excited about this team, excited about this offseason. We're going to have a lot of fun, especially today here on Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. I am your host, Tidane Gonzalez, joined as always by my co-host, Colby Patnode. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez. It's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z and Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. Be sure to also check out our Patreon where we talk about the Mariners even more and also get into some non-baseball talk twice a week. Yesterday was certainly full of that. Visit patreon.com forward slash control zone for more information. If you want to hear these two knuckleheads, and that's including myself in the conversation, uh, just ramble on about what have you, Marvel and uh, bad customer service was a topic yesterday. We went on and on and on because, you know, Jerry DePoto really isn't doing anything right now. And uh, it's kind of hard to come up with topics, but we got three topics for you today here on Locked On Mariners. We're going to be reacting to the news of Wander Franco's 11-year extension with the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. We're also going to talk Luis Torrens. How do we feel about him returning to catcher in 2022? And uh, can he repeat his offensive performance from this past year when he came back up from AAA? Mariners were also linked to a starting pitcher who recently signed but did not make an offer themselves. We'll tell you who that was and discuss how the starting pitching market continues to take shape. And if you like what you hear, give the show a follow or subscribe wherever you listen to this. We'd greatly appreciate it. So Juan Franco, Ray's shortstop, who was the top prospect in the game when he was called up, hit 288, 347, 463 with a 127 WRC+. Plus. Played good defense, good base runner, two-and-a-half-one player by Fangraph standards in 70 games last year, and he earned himself a massive, massive new contract from the Tampa Bay Rays today, signing a 12-year contract. Well, really, it's 11 years. There is an option for the last year. It's a $25 million club option. But overall, this deal comes out to $185 million, and it can go up all the way to $223 million. Colby, let's start with this. You know, the Rays aren't really known for spending money. Did this deal surprise you? Yes and no, because while the Rays don't typically spend money, what they do do is give their young stars extensions that are below market value. Um, they did it with Longoria. They did it with Snell. Uh, now they've done it with Franco. So um, the total amount and the length is a little surprising. Uh, I don't know if I would be interested if I was Wander Franco in calling Tampa Bay home for the next 11 years. Uh, not only because they might not be playing in Tampa Bay in, in 11 years. So uh, the length was a little bit uh, interesting to me. But um, no, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be a tremendous value for the Rays. Um, and probably, you know, when the time comes, the uh, the Rays are going to be able to trade Wander Franco uh, for mm-hmm. a great haul because he's going to be cheap and controllable relative to his uh, his skill set. So, um a little bit of sticker shock at first, but when you really break down the numbers, uh, it's it's going to end up being a steal for for Tampa and and 
you certainly understand why Wander Franco would take it. I mean, that's $185 million uh, flash yeah. in front of your face before you're 21. Like, that's going to be tough to turn down. Yeah, it is really tough. You know, and, and I messaged you right after the deal came through. And I, you know, it, it, it feels though with the trajectory that Wander Franco is on that he's leaving a ton of money on the table potentially here by signing this deal right now. But hey, that's the risk that a lot of these players assume when they sign these extensions as prospects to get to basically get paid up front to get paid more than the league minimum which is just $575,000 a year Uh, so you know he gets a significant uptick but overall when you look at that number of 185 it's only 16 and a half million a year AAV wise and if Wander Franco becomes the player that we all think he's going to become he's going to be severely underpaid so what do you think about the deal from Franco's standpoint? Do you understand it? Obviously, you know, you, you understand that it's hard to turn that number down, but, it, uh, you know, don't you see the the trajectory that he's on? And, and, and do you feel that maybe this was a little premature on, on his and his camp's front to jump at the steal with where he's potentially going in his career? I think um, from Franco's standpoint, it, it could be a little bit, um, a little bit early, I probably would have waited to see how the CBA turns out um, because it's not like Tampa is not going to have interest in negotiating with you after the new CBA comes out. And maybe there's a way that, um, for example, right now, Franco still has to play six years before he would have been eligible for free agency. For free agency. There's a small possibility that you know players, as part of the CBA negotiation, they might only have five years until they're free agents. So five years of club control. So um, it's I that that could have changed things because now instead of buying out, you know, five free agent years, four free agent years, you're buying out five, and so that would cost them more money. So I probably would have waited there, and and mm-hmm. you know Franco signed in in 2017 uh, for 3.85 million dollars. So I don't he's not that he is like, or he shouldn't be desperate for money. He got a hefty signing bonus as a 16 year old, but. We don't know what his family situation is. We don't know what, you know, what his financial situation is. And again, you wave $185 million in front of anybody. They're probably going to take it. Um, right. I guess the beauty of this deal is that he's going to be a free agent again, I think at 31, 32. Uh, so he's probably going to get another rather large contract. Um but no, I, I get it. I'm not. I'm not gonna, you know, blame a guy for for getting his money. Um, it's nowhere near as egregious as some of the other deals we've seen, like for Whit Merrifield or Ozzy Albies. Uh, those are two of the ones that come to mind immediately for really bad extensions. Right. So, um, yeah, I probably would have waited till at least after the CBA. Um, might it could have maybe squeezed a couple million more out of Tampa, but it's it's hard to walk away from 185 million and and potentially as much as what what they say 224 like yeah that i i completely understand why you would take that so let's talk about the mariners and and how this kind of this this may or may not impact them as well because obviously they got a couple young players that are of a similar status to wander franco jerry kelnick julio rodriguez kelnick obviously didn't have the year that that franco had uh, really struggled, did come on as of late in, uh, in in the month of September, but still some struggles there, obviously. 
but Julio as well. Let, let's talk about him here in, in the in the event that he has a year that is similar to Franco's, right? Because that's some people have that expectation. Obviously, you don't want to put those expectations on any young player. We saw it with Jared Kelnick. He struggled despite being fantastic at every single level of baseball he'd ever played. And the same has pretty much been the case for Julio as well, where he's never really struggled, struggled either wherever he's played. Um, but assuming that he comes up and he has a year like Franco, now that the CBA, now that there will be a new CBA in place and all that, let's go, let's fast forward a year from now and talk about what a potential extension for Julio Rodriguez could look like and how this might impact that. I don't see it happening. Um, mm-hmm. there's a couple of differences here and, you know, well, let's start here. And, and I know this wasn't exactly your question, but Wander Franco has a track record of being a successful major leaguer. It's a small track record, but he has it. Julio does not. Uh, but like you said, assuming that he has a relatively good, uh, first year, um, would they do this? I don't think so because I don't know that they're going to go 11 year deals on anybody. Um, if they were going to go on anybody, I would say like, if you told me they're absolutely giving a 10 plus year deal to somebody, I would say it's probably Julio, but I don't think he's right. going to get $200 million for a couple reasons. Number one is that, um, you know, the odds that he's as good as Wander Franco as rookie are pretty small. Uh, but number two, Wander Franco is a shortstop. Julio Rodriguez is a right fielder. Um, you know, he might play some center field, but we know he's a corner outfielder. Uh, so yeah, there is a big difference between being a shortstop and playing a corner guy. Shortstops make more because they're more rare. They're harder to find. So I I think those two things are going to be working against him here a little bit. Um, you know, it's look, am I going to be mad if the Mariners gave Julio Rodriguez the same deal? No, of course not. I I don't, I don't care. It's a pretty safe bet that you're going to get your money back. I just don't think that the Mariners are going to be interested in an 11, 12 year deal. And I don't know that Julio would be either. Um, you know, again, Julio is another guy who got a pretty good bonus. Uh, he's not hurting for money uh, or shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, he's just, he's only a couple months older and he is kind of in that same prospect pedestal, but again, doesn't have the track record as Franco probably is not going to. Um, non-zero chance he does, but probably not. That's that's expecting a lot from him. Um, and honestly, I think Seattle might just wait a couple years and see where he's at. And uh, I think that's probably the smarter way to go. All right, we're going to talk about Luis Torrens in just a moment. But real quick, want to remind you, this episode of Locked On Mariners is not only brought to you by BetOnline.ag, but also DirecTV. It's Thanksgiving, and we all know what that means, football. And nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. BetOnline has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds, lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. And it's not just football. BetOnline has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino game. So don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online. We're stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving. Does this sound familiar? 
You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. Again, and the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. This is Locked On Mariners. Thank you again for making us your first listen of the day. We greatly appreciate the support. We are free and available on all platforms, of course. So be sure to tell your friends, family, all those out there who are Mariner fans to uh, check us out on whichever podcast platform they prefer. We're on Apple. We're on Google. We're on Spotify. We're on all those great platforms out there. Now talking about Luis Torrens, uh, the Mariners catcher who, of course, came up in june after being sent down he really struggled in the first couple of months of the season came back in june figured things uh, figured some things out in tacoma found a lot of power down in tacoma and that translated to the major league level since coming up in june on june 15th he slashed 266 326 477 with a 121 wrc plus he had 13 home runs 41 rbi he even had two triples wheels to rends if you will but the problem was he did not really catch since he came back up and he had some struggles, pretty big struggles catching in the in his first stint at the major league level to start the year. So, Colby, it seems that Terenz is going to come back and try to catch uh, the that's what Scott Service said at his end of year press conference that that was the plan that that Terenz is going to catch again in 2022. So let's start off. Obviously, we know all about the bat, but can Luis Torrens be a viable defender at the major league level? Uh, I think he can, and also I'm not sure how much it matters. Um, like, obviously, you want Torrens to... It'd be great if Luis Torrens was an average catcher. Probably not ever going to be an average catcher defensively. Um, but... There's really no reason to believe that he can't handle first base on a pretty regular basis. Um, there were some, you know, murmurs and whispers that he was taking ground balls at third base all season, and he was working with Perry Hill there. So I wouldn't be too shocked if he gets some time there in 2022. Um, remember the the random lineup against Tampa, the random lineup against Tampa Bay that came out where he was listed as a third baseman, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all kind of freaked out for a minute, and then they changed it to first base. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that was a mistake initially. So um, I do think they want to play him some at third. So can he be a viable defender? I mean, viable enough? Sure, because, I mean, you'd live with Ty France at second base if you had to with his bat, right? I mean, it's not ideal. You don't want it, mm-hmm. but you'd live with it to get the bat in the lineup. So um, it really comes down to the bat to me. Do you think the bat is mostly for real? Then then he's going to be viable enough. If you don't think the bat is for real at all, then he's probably not going to be good enough defensively. Um, so really the glove is kind of secondary almost to how do you feel about the bat? If you buy the bat, the glove's going to be fine. If you don't buy the bat, then he's not, basically he's not a major leaguer or he's a, a bench yeah. guy at best. And you, Colby, you love the bat. 
So what is it in his offensive profile that you saw in his second stint this year that makes you think that his bat and his plate approach is sustainable moving forward? One of the things that stands out immediately is the opposite field power. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not it's not rare for a right-handed bat to have opposite opposite field power, but it's pretty rare for a 25-year-old who has some pretty inconsistent major league playing time to show the amount of opposite field power that he has. Um, he's not afraid to hit the other way. Uh, he hits the ball hard with authority. He was in the 79th percentile in average exit velocity. This year, 66th percentile in hard hit rate, 68th percentile in barrel. Um, and, you know, pretty good strike zone judgment. Um, 60, 62nd percentile in uh, chase rate. Uh, doesn't draw a lot of walks, still strikes out a bit much, swings and misses. Uh, it's part of his game. But, again, the power mm-hmm. that you saw, the raw power, the ability to hit the ball hard consistently, those are two things that and the ability to not chase egregiously outside of the zone. Those are two things that really make me kind of buy the bat here. And again, Luis Torrens is 25 years old. He's young. <laughs> I mean, and we know all about his track record, his, uh, his history as a rule five pick who kind of basically had to sit in the majors before he was ready to uh, for a whole year. And that kind of threw off his his trajectory and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, a lot of good things happening here. And honestly, you couple it in with what we saw last year again in only like 18 games, but he was a solid hitter last year too. So I buy the power. Mm -hmm. I buy the opposite field. I buy the approach um, and I'm buying the age. And I, I think it's possible. We have not seen the best of Luis Torrens. I really buy what he did in the second half of last year. I mean, he was on pace for 25 to 28 home runs. Uh, you know, since when he was recalled, that's legitimate. Mm-hmm. And if that's you know a DH or a or a first baseman, that's that's plenty good enough. Yeah, I think what you saw last year as well was you know there wasn't a ton of home run power, but a lot of contact. He was in the top 100 hitters in contact last year. Like he he wasn't striking out a ton, under 20. percent uh, He was walking nearly 10 percent of the time. That diminished a little bit in 2021. He's struck out more 26 and a half uh, percent of the time. He only walked seven and a half percent of the time, which is still fine. Right. It's not terrible. Um, but yeah, he, uh, uh, you know, with the added power on top of that, you know, maybe if he can cut down the strikeouts a little bit more and obviously that's going to happen, you know, or the, uh, the strikeouts are going to come a little bit more as he hits for more power. That's just kind of what we've seen in today's game. Uh, but uh, I, I think with, what he was able to to tack on this year, and if he can mix in some more of that contact stuff that he was doing in 2020, I mean, you got a really, really good hitter there. So I think from what you've seen over the last two years, for him, or, well, you know, two years is he was lightly here. You know, the yeah. 25 <laughs> games that he played in 2020 and the 108 that he played in 2021, you uh, you saw some good stuff. You saw some some stuff that's going to uh, to make you feel pretty good about the repeatability of that. And I think that's really the concern here with from a lot of people is 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 what Luis Torrens has done repeatable. And I think it is. I think everything that we've seen over the last two years is that he is a far more advanced hitter than he was when he made his little cup of coffee in 2017, which was you know he he was forced to be up at that point. And because uh, he was a rule five pick, right? Yep. 
Yeah. And uh, out of New York. And then uh, 2019, obviously, only played seven games and, um, you know, very young and, and, and just inexperienced. And he's and he's worked on things now. And it's and it's starting to show through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so, yeah, he I think he's I think he's going to at least be an average big league hitter in 2022, at least. The question ultimately is the defense and, and how that all gets handled. And to a certain degree, it, it really doesn't matter, like you said. But also, you know, Jerry DePoto has preached roster flexibility as well. But there's definitely a way to get Terrence in the lineup consistently. And ultimately, if he's playing, look, the, the guy is not, um, he, he's athletically inclined, right? Like he can play for a space. You could put yeah. him out there for 20 games and he'll be fine. He'll be serviceable. I think with his arm, there's a potential that he could survive at third base and catching wise. He was pretty good behind the plate in 2020, which is what made his 20, the start to his 2021 season. So strange. So bewildering. Anyway, you were, you were going to say something just a second ago. Sorry. Oh no, it's just, it's really not that hard because look, all you, if you get 30 games in the field and that's including catcher, first base and third base and you DH him 70 games, which isn't an outrageous number. You're getting him 400 plate appearances. That's a pretty good bat to have around. And, and you know, honestly, I, I know we got to run here pretty quick, but if you squint and you look at Luis Torrens when he returned from from AAA Tacoma, you could kind of see a little bit of Nelson Cruz. Um, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Nelson Cruz. Cruz is a you know borderline Hall of Famer, but you can see it. The opposite field power, the line drives, the approach. Yeah, kind of a strikeout here and there, but really nothing too you know, unbelievable or nothing that's totally unsustainable, but mm-hmm. just the right-handed opposite field power and how a lot of his home runs are line drives, not necessarily the high booming fly balls. That's a lot of Nelson Cruz right there. So I'm willing to give him a shot. And again, I only need him to catch for 25, 30 games and play first slash third base for another 20. And then I'm going to have an easy time getting him 60, 60 games, at least as a DH and probably another, 50 at bats as a pinch hitter, first guy off the bench. Like this is a valuable player, regardless of how, you know, how often he uh, he plays the field. It'd be better if he could, but it's not required for him to be a useful major leaguer. So the starting pitching market is really starting to heat up here. Stephen Matt seems to be close to making a decision. The Giants made a plethora of moves and continue to be involved in the market of Alex Cobb. They also are in agreement to bring back Alex Wood, who was a pitcher that we thought the Mariners could be interested in, as as well as Cobb. And it turns out they were also actually interested in one of the other pitchers of the Giants signed, Anthony Desclafani, who signs for a three-year, $39 million deal, $13 million AAV for Desclafani, who uh, I'm bringing up his numbers now. At a 317 ERA last year, 362 FIP, he struck out 8.16 batters per nine, walked 2.25 batters per nine in uh, 167 and two thirds innings pitched. It's a good pitcher. Th- made 31 starts, stayed healthy, uh, and he uh, he was a big part of that Giants rotation. And he only gets $13 million a year for the next three years, which is Pretty surprising considering some of the other deals we've seen and how this starting pitching market was supposed to take shape. And really, 
it doesn't seem all that too unreasonable, right, Colby? No. Um, the AAVs have come down a little bit lower than I would have expected. Um, not that I thought Desclafani was going to get twenty million, but I, I thought he was probably a pretty good bet to get fourteen, fifteen million. Um, you know, I thought Rodriguez was probably going to get closer to twenty million. I, I, you know, Wood I thought was probably going to get closer to twelve, thirteen, and he got ten. So it's not like these are outrageous underpays based on what I expected. But overall, the market is, um, I would say, favorable to teams right now. Um, mm-hmm. just for the simple fact that it appears they're not overpaying for pitching, which is kind of a an annual winter tradition. Is that you overpay a little bit for for pitching? The only overpay so far has been uh, the Angels signing Noah Syndergaard, and I mean, if Syndergaard is as good as he usually is, that's that's not going to be an overpay. So, um, yeah, it, it feels like pitching is being valued about how we would normally expect. It, meaning, yeah. you know, teams aren't paying a premium for it now. To be fair, we haven't seen, you know, Scherzer hasn't gotten a deal yet, but that doesn't really affect the Mariners, so who cares? Mm-hmm. So the guys who the Mariners could be in on, the guys who are like Wood and Desclafani, um, and even Rodriguez, they're going for prices that are insanely reasonable. And so yeah, uh, I think that bodes well for the Mariners. And it also bodes well for the trade market for the Mariners yep. as well, because there isn't going to be as much desperation. There isn't as much leverage because the market is playing out the way that it is. So teams are not going to be able to put just any sort of costs that they want on their pitching. Um, so let me ask you this, because obviously with the report from Daniel Kramer, MLB.com, Mariners uh, beat reporter for MLB.com, saying that the uh, the M's uh, obviously you know were in contact with Desclafani's team, with his, with his camp, but never made the offer. A lot of people have reacted by saying, well, oh, the, the Mariners front office is already doing the well we tried thing. What's your response to that, Colby? Shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> how about we wait? Response. How about we wait until after the offseason's over before we say how their offseason went? Like, would I have liked Desclafani at that number? Sure. I mean, would I have liked Wood at that number? Yeah. Rodriguez? Yep. But there's four months left of the offseason. And I know the lockout is coming, and that's scaring a lot of people. Um, and it, it's, I don't want to say it's scary, but it is annoying. Like, I, we all agree that it's annoying. Um, but there's still four months of the offseason, people. And maybe they liked Desclafani, but they didn't love him. Maybe they were working on something else, and Desclafani was going to be their second guy. You know, we just don't know. Maybe Desclafani talked to the Mariners, and the Mariners talked to him, and they're just kind of like, eh, we'll see. Like you know what? Like the Giants love Desclafani, and they know who they know what he's about. They know who he is as a person, and Desclafani knows what the you know what the Giants are about as an organization. So there's a possibility that Seattle could have offered them fifteen million dollars a year, and he would have said no. I'm staying in San Francisco. So those are the conversations we're not privy to. So I'm not worried about it really at all. And and if you are, you. I, I think you're you're freaking out too much about the the upcoming you know uh, labor stoppage, um, but we're still a long way from opening day, guys. So take a breath. Let's see what it looks like at the end. And then if at the end they were in on a bunch of guys but didn't land any of them, 
then you can go ahead and talk about the same old Mariners. But until then, just just shut up. And on that note, I think that's going to do it for our show. I think that's a good, pretty good spot to uh, to stop things. Uh, so appreciate you joining us here on Locked On Mariners for Colby Patnode. I'm Tidane Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez. It's D-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z and Colby at CPAT11. That's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. And thank you again for making us your first listen of the day, just like you do here every day. We greatly appreciate the support. Now make your second listen of the day, Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q, an expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling and Just Like Us. Their show is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So have yourself a beautiful baseball day and we'll see you tomorrow.